I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. In my heart, I have a Welcome, everyone, back to Greetings from Beyond Radio. It has been a minute, hasn't it, been, Vicky? A hot minute. A hot minute? <laughs> it's cold up here in Utah, though, but I know it's still hot down there in Florida. Uh, how have you been? I've been hanging in there, you know, getting used to a different job and, you know, looking for that one day where it almost feels like fall here in Florida. Still haven't found it. Yeah, it's going to take a minute. That's going to take a hot minute, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. How about start, you? What have you been up to? I'll start blowing your way. Uh, just, I, I I caught the sniffles because of the change of weather, you know, humid, hot, all of a sudden cold. And uh, I got the sniffles. It's not COVID, you know, thank God. I don't have any wood to knock on here, but wait. There, knocked on wood. And... Uh, just trying to get adjusted. It's uh, officially been three weeks that I've been here. So, uh, but it's good to finally see you. And finally for all of us to be back on the air. Uh, we have a very, 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 very special guest. Someone that, uh, I don't know if you've ever met uh, Andrea at all, Vicky. Um, no, she, she's an incredible woman. I, I can tell you this much. I consider her to be a very, very dear friend of mine. And I always look forward to hanging out with her, talking with her. And, and in fact, the last time her and I hung out, um, she pretty much kidnapped me for a night, uh, had me stay at her winter Haven home. Unfortunately, it's, you know, they had to evacuate that. Now they moved somewhere else, but she'll fill you guys in on that. And we just hung out and had a blast and just you know what can i tell you she's an author uh of three part book house of what is it house of darkness house of light i believe it's called and um i believe we have the pictures somewhere if our producer could pop them up real quick um to show that up there you go people house of darkness house of light I have the first one autographed and signed by her. Um, Andre, Andrea Perone is uh, the eldest uh, of five, I believe. And um, they went through a very harrowing experience in a farmhouse. Um, and uh, 
I think everybody knows about The Conjuring. That's what The Conjuring was inspired after. But the reason she wrote those books is because, and she wrote those books before the movies came out for everyone's, you know, get to know. Uh, it was so that everyone had an idea as to why things happen, how things happen from the perspective of the people. So we finally get a chance to really hear it from her. And we may just get a little appearance from Roger. But you know what? Vicki, take it away. Let's take care of business, as you always say. Yeah. Uh, obviously, if you're listening and watching us right now, you found us somehow. But there, there are other places where you can find us. Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, Amazon Music, Paralinks, iHeartRadio, Samsung Podcasts. Podcast, Podcast Index, Listen Notes, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and for those privileged people, Apple Podcasts. Yes, you got to love those privileged people that just have apples because, you know, they have to like stand in line for like days just to get an iPhone. Whatever. Anyways, uh, so yeah, that's where you can see us all. And of course, we give, a, a, you know, all the information out. We I want to really thank um, Courtney Peterson, who's really done an incredible job. Uh, she started um, a fan page for Eli Roth Presents the Legion of Exorcist, the show that I uh, was part of the cast of. And uh, her team is Trinity Paranormal Investigations of Long Island. So go check that page out on Facebook and give it a gander. You can follow me on Everything Rich Valdez, Demonologist. Follow Vicky on Readings by Vicky. And if you want a reading by one of the best, in my opinion, psychic mediums out there right now, um, go to that page, ask for a reading, and uh, work something out with her. And, of course, our producer and incredible manager, uh, Jen Richardson. She can officially say her name is Richardson. Yes, finally. Um, and last but not least, we need to introduce the guest, the, I'd say the icing on the cake, the gravy on the mash and the main course as well. Andrew Pearl. Did you eat dinner before we started? No, I didn't. I'm hungry. All right. <laughs> I can tell. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> sweetie. Hi. Oh, no, no. Put put her first. Come on. Come on. I told her to throw glitter on herself. Just go like this. And this is it. It's I've worn know. my you go, you go, go. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's my Florida, like, you know, that. I and know, then right? I threw something respectable on over it because I look like the Yankee Swamp Egg. I have been in Winter Garden all day long, not Winter Haven, Winter Garden. You should have yes. checked your GPS. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know that address is in there. And now I have a new address to give you, which I have not even memorized yet. Okay, well, it's you can text numbers. that to me. You can text I it will. to me. And then you're going to put it in your GPS. Yes, I will. Um, yes. I will. Um, yeah, it's been too long. Um, I, um, I just can't even describe what we've about a month ago and vicky you know if you're living in florida honey oh god just be prepared because you never know when it's coming you don't know this was not a tropical storm this was not even a a particularly dangerous system it was certainly not a hurricane but a month ago 
a huge thunderstorm parked itself over the southern edge of Lake Apopka and it wouldn't move. It wouldn't budge. And for 90 minutes, it poured to the extent that you couldn't see the backyard. My father said all he could see was rain. And between eight and a half and 12 inches of rain fell over that section of Winter Garden. Um, and of course, we're on the lake. You saw, Rich, how beautiful yeah. the lake is. But the water table is already so high there. It had no place to go. And so it decided to move in. Well, I was up at, I think, Ocean State Paracon when it happened. Um, and then, of course, I had to go back to Atlanta um, because Christine, my sister Christine, and I have been caring for my mother who is in hospice palliative care. And I have been in Georgia full time when I'm not traveling for the last 10 months. Wow. Uh, and will be for the foreseeable future. So anyway, I get this panic call from my father freaking out because inches of water are pouring into under the foundation, up through the floors, everywhere in the house. And he is racing around trying to save our 200-year-old antiques, you know, just racing as fast as he can at 88 years old to save our, our precious family heirlooms. Um, it was a nightmare, and I was 1,200, 1,400 miles away. I couldn't do anything. Um, and so, you know, he called in the troops. His girlfriend Carly uh, was living there. She came home and helped him. The neighbors came over and helped get the furniture out of the way of the flood. Um, it destroyed, hi, Jonathan. It destroyed uh, uh, three, three and a half out of seven rooms were just Whoa. utterly destroyed. The parlor, the back office, the formal dining room, and half the Not kitchen. my room. No, not your room. <laughs> not your room. Yeah, okay. you sleep in the garage when you come. Oh, so, you know. <laughs> I give you a cot. You're fine. Um, so anyway, that was a freaking nightmare. And then there was nothing I could do because my uh, my stuff was coming fast and furious. Spooky season. You know, like I had this event and then this event and then this event. And so as soon as I got home from the Michigan Paracon, uh, they had already moved over uh, probably way more than half of the large furniture had come to the new house, which is Carlene's house, who she had. And this is the universe in action. Um, she had moved in with dad probably six to eight months ago and was methodically cleaning out this beautiful home to sell it and was going to, you know, pare down into the little bit smaller winter garden home that, you know, dad and I share. Um, but I hadn't been there. He was terribly lonely and they love each other madly. And so she just moved in and um, she put her house on the market about a week before the flood. And then as soon as it hit, after they got the furniture out of the way of the water, um, she called her real estate agent and said, uh, catastrophe, pull my house off the market, yank it. And so instant home, instant home, seven minutes from the airport so that every time I come down,
to visit. I don't have to drive. I can just fly in from Atlanta. It's an hour and 15 minutes. And by the time I have time to smoke a cigarette, dad will be there to pick me up. Thanks. So, um, you know, uh, God in action, Rich. You know, I, I just feel like uh, so blessed. I can't even bitch about this because can I swear on your air? I would hope. Hey. Hi, Nikki. Can I swear? Yeah, we have the disclosure. 18 so, plus. Okay. Yeah, I read your disclosure. It was hysterical. Um, <laughs> You'd yeah. be surprised. Okay. Well, just for the record, I'm telling the truth every single thing that I say. And if anybody doesn't believe me, you know, all right? <laughs> um, okay, so there. Go find another channel someplace else and watch something else. Um, but anyway, oh, uh, I have my co-host. You have a co-host. I have a co-host. It's the princess. Peanut! It's the peanut budget. This baby. Oh. Oh, this my baby. See my, oh, she was so upset I didn't take I her. Met, I met today. Peanut soon after you yes, saved her. rescued her. I know, and I told you the whole story, and I yeah. cried through the whole thing. And do you know, you know, these years later, if I told you the story of finding Peanut, I would cry some more because yeah. she is the best thing that ever happened to me. Whoever would think I'd fall for a chihuahua. Who would think it? And when you met her, when I found her, she was somewhere between three and a half and four pounds. Now she is somewhere between 11 and 13 pounds. Someone so spoiled. A rotund belly. Oh, that's what happened. <laughs> See why I don't wear lipstick? Because she licks lip she licks it right <laughs> Go on. Uh, okay. Real, so real quick. Do you what? recall? Do you recall? And I, no, I'm probably sure. not COVID break. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Really? Yeah. You don't recall this. Okay. Okay. Oh, I do. Yes. <laughs> uh, and. Yes. Yes. And they are safe and sound here. So uh, one, one for Trinity, one for Jen, and the other one for Tammy. It's back in Miami. Yeah. So Tammy and Miami. no worries. It's all been taken care of. Um, there's another pick uh, I'd love to show. Uh, and I see our producer already has it up ready to be posted um, of you and I in front of the Tampa theater. Oh, I know. See, I looked so much better that night. I had makeup. Honey, you always look good. Stop nice it, please. Clothes, earrings. Uh, this... Yeah, no, you're getting swamp hag today. That's <laughs> sweaty and dirty and dusty, and I probably have mold spores all over me because my house is a toxic waste dump. And oh my god! So anyway, hey, but you know it's the real me, Vicky. Hey. You know if you're gonna be in Florida, then we're definitely gonna have to get together because it's not that big a state. It's big ass state, but it's not that big. It's not, not you that know, big in Michigan. <laughs> So um, <laughs> we will. I'll have you to my new home, and uh, welcome that. That would be great. Um, I have to leave. Uh, I'm gonna have to leave. Well, basically, as soon as we're in, and I have not left my space uh, a disaster area. Um, you know, so I'm sizing actually sizing down a little bit in size of my bedroom, sizing up a little bit with the. Uh, with the office so there's a little bit of shifting going on there's a great deal of giving away going on 
I'm taking back to Atlanta a bunch of things that I've had for years and years that, I mean, sometimes in some cases, decades that I intend to send to my nearest and dearest friends for Christmas as a personal keepsake and to create a little space in my world and my life because I have, uh, I have too much stuff. I have too much stuff. I'm just a hoarder of stuff. And it's not my fault because I go to, for 12 years now, I've been going to Paracons and people bring me the most extraordinary, lovely gifts. And like cookies. Yeah, yeah. The well, cookie tent. Oh. Yeah, and there's some, uh, <laughs> oh great. Oh, that's great. Jonathan's gonna be there October 30th, yay. Oh, I'm gonna be at the farm um, over Halloween. Uh, abrupt change of subject. I'm sorry, I've got way too much caffeine in me right now. I'm just, I was, it was either, it was either drink caffeine and do the show or just nap right through it and just, you know, and I couldn't do that to you. I have to, I have to participate in everything that I do, Rich. You know that about me. Um, interesting. Don't let life live you. That's what I always say. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just have to be, you know, just a, put a you know punctuation point on my previous statement uh life throws stuff at you oh yeah you know i mean i would have just stayed in that beautiful house you were there you spent time there with us and i would have just stayed there it was a lovely neighborhood wonderful neighbors uh quiet peaceful um ufos yeah i mean it was just really a wonderful spot on earth to be and i will always miss it but it's 25 minutes up the road and you know we can go back and see our neighbors and our friends anytime um you know i need to be with my mother now i have one chance to get this right just one and in my absence christine is carrying the load so i i need to finish moving out get it organized, get ready, and then go back to Atlanta and then leave a, a week later. Oh, that's nice, Jonathan. I know, wait till you see it now, sweetheart. Oh my God. Everything that was so weird, it was like everything of our, our possessions melded together in this house as if we had always lived here. Honestly, as if we had always lived here. And it's in an absolutely beautiful neighborhood. There's a huge open park area and a, oh, yeah. like a little lake, big pond, uh, maybe a hundred yards from the house, um, but also with a huge boon around it to keep the water in because you know, Rich, having lived in Florida, I mean, you get enough rain, you got alligators crawling up your, you know, in your yard and down swimming down your streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happens. And uh, fish, you know, I mean, it's bizarre. Um, so, But I'm just so, so grateful that dad and I didn't have to, in this housing market, in these circumstances, find a place, you know, quickly find a place to go live that might not have been ideal. And this is absolutely ideal. And I've known Carlene for a couple of years now. Uh, I have never seen dad happier, never. I mean, when you find your true love and the thing that is so bizarre is that we just found out a couple of days ago 
uh, talking about ancestry, family ancestry. Uh, I found out that Carlene is a distant cousin of my mother, and they're both from Clan Buchanan, Scotland. Lord that is reason enough to buy a lottery ticket, and damn it, that's <laughs> what I got myself for my birthday. I'm like, great, Dad's girlfriend is related to Dad's ex-wife. Okay. Okay. Um, I did right, happy like, birthday again. I, I mean, I already wished you a happy birthday yesterday. Yes, you did. But another belated happy birthday Thank to you. you. Uh, it was lovely. I was not on a plane or stuck up in the mountains of Vail, Colorado all alone. I was here with Ma, with Dad and Carlene and yeah. Mom on the phone, Chris on the phone, Cindy on the phone, Nancy on the phone, April, my angel sister from above, making her presence known with pennies just thrown all over the house. Did the gardenia survive? It did. It did. It got moved today, honey. Yes. It did. God. And will be planted on this property. Okay. Excuse me. I have a dog issue right here. Hold on just a second. All right. Go see who's out there. Go get them, Peanut. All 11 pounds of you. Go ahead. You go. go. <laughs> Vicki, go ahead. Ask some questions. Yeah. Good luck getting a word in it twice. Good I'm luck. Okay. I was just sitting here enjoying the conversation, thinking, oh, my gosh, this so is great. I, but go ahead. Go ahead, so, Vicki. Uh, everybody, uh, are, they're kind of familiar with the Hollywood version of your story. Yeah. But I always like to start before all that. Can you tell us about your family before you moved into that house? Yeah, we were a perfectly normal family until we became a paranormal family. And it was not by our own choice. I mean, my mother was enthralled with that house because it was one of the last original colonial homes left in this country. And, you know, an original barn and original this and that and the other thing. I mean, it's the land that it's on. It was dated back. The deed um, uh, was registered in 1680. The house as it stands now was completed in 1736. Um, it was just an extraordinarily beautiful place. Uh, and she just fell in love with the land, but you know, the property, the house itself and, and everything about it. I mean, ghosts were not on the radar. Mickey, was the only time that you even heard the word ghost was in church, the father, the son, and the Holy ghost. Um, and, uh, and Halloween when mom wanted to know which one of us wanted to be the ghost. So she'd know which, you know, which faded sheet she could use and cut holes in for, you know, I mean, that was it. I mean, I was a little addicted to dark shadows. I will admit that. I'm a dark shadows fan. Yes. Collins, baby. He was hot. Yes. Barnabas. <laughs> Barnabas. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta love um, Barnabas. No, Quentin was the hot one. Quentin was the hot one. Barnabas I, was I, I was a Barnabas fan. Vicki, you were a fan of what? I was a Barnabas fan. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Okay. But You're outnumbered. It was um, <laughs> paranormal. Anything was like not a part of our lives at all. And uh, contrary to the impression that the film left, uh, my mother converted to Catholicism to marry my father. All five of their daughters, myself included, was baptized. We all had godparents. We all made our first communion. Um, I mean, we were 
in a way, and I know Rich knows this, but it, it's hard. It's it's kind of, uh, it, it doesn't make sense. The story doesn't make sense, but um, our first Easter at the house uh, in Harrisville, we all went to church. We always, you know, we filled a pew practically ourselves, just our family, seven of us. And, um, and uh, the priest said, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And April was just a little baby. I mean, she looked how tiny she was but in the middle under my father. Um, and um, she just looked at mom and she said, see, mom, God has ghosts just like we do except she said it in her big girl outdoor voice. And every head in the church turned and uh, the priest followed our family out and asked my father to take us and worship elsewhere. Um, oh. Thought that it would impact the passing of the plate. Now, everybody in that town knew the rumors of that house. Everybody did, but we dared to talk about it in school. And me, goody two shoes, straight A student, almost got expelled from high school in the 10th grade for answering my peers' questions. It's not like I brought it up and said, oh, let's talk about my haunted spooky house. If they asked me something, I would just answer them honestly, exactly the same way I do now. And um, my father was so upset. My father um, was going to join the Navy, which he did after he graduated from high school which was a parochial Catholic school um, and join the Navy, serve his country, and then come back and go directly into the seminary, directly to seminary. He had intended to be a priest. So can you imagine how devastated he was to be basically expelled from the religion that he had uh, rooted all of his faith in lifelong? Um, and my mother was so angry. She said, we're not going to any other church. We're not going to church. We live in church. And if you girls want to know God, go to the woods. Go out to the woods. You've got 200 acres of pristine land here. If you want to know God, go into the forest. And she trusted us and she knew that, see, forest all around it, it's just an amazing piece of property. That's incredible. Yeah, that's it's beautiful. Incredible. And um, and that's what we did. That's what we did. And I'll tell you, living in that house instilled a, a deeper faith in me than anything that I had begun to develop as a child. And my mother, even though she had converted to Catholicism to marry my father, she didn't believe a word of it, not a word of it. And when we moved into that house, she just wanted to marry dad. She would have done anything and anything to make sure that she married the man that she loved. Mm -hmm. And so she did her, her um, church thing. But when we moved into that house, she considered herself uh, an atheist. She didn't believe there was a God. She didn't believe that she could live in a world where there was so much pain and grief and sorrow and war and, and pillage and for there to be a divine being that cared so much about us that would not intervene. Peanut, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, she's making a bed, she's making a bed. It's not disturbing. 
Okay, we all see you, honey. We all see you. She put herself right in. Oh my God, she's so. She is your co-host. You know, she has to have something to say. Well, now she's turned her back to us. So you know, see how. All right. Now she's just mad that I haven't visited her in a while. That's all. I know she is mad. She hears your voice. She knows who you are. I know. Um, so, uh, it was um, honestly when things were bad, really bad, Vicky. Rich knows all of this, so I'll just talk to you. When things were really, really bad in that house, the only thing you had to say and mean it was, dear God, please help me. Oh, God, help me. That's all you had to say and mean it. And whatever was going on stopped abruptly abruptly so i don't know i know jonathan lee's there you might as well move in jonathan just move into the house you're there all the time he lives there it's you know kind of a luxury for him just up the road um but uh you know it was my mother is dying slowly but surely my mother is passing away she's fighting like hell to stay here she doesn't want to miss anything, um, but she is surrounded by spirit. And, um, you know, Christine and Cindy and I are the ones that are her full-time caregivers. Cindy lives just down the road and she comes. And the other day before, um, well, it wasn't the other day, several weeks ago between Paracons. <laughs> And we were sitting and holding hands and I was brushing her hair and we were talking and she's pretty much bedridden. And so um, she said, you know, I'm not afraid to die. I said, yeah, I know, mom, I know you're not afraid to die. And she says, you know why, right? And she, she forgets, I, of course I know why. And she said, cause people think that it was a curse for us to live in that house and it was a blessing. And she was having a particularly lucid moment and she said to me, I'm not afraid to die because I know there's something else and that we'll be together again. And the reason I know it is from living at that farm. Wow. Powerful That's words from someone that very, really, she, yeah. and she, she suffered, you all suffered, but I feel as if your mom suffered the most out of all of you because she, she felt uh, being a mom and seeing everything that her kids, her husband were going through, plus what she was being singled out for as well, uh, I think may have affected her more uh, towards the end of anything. But something that not too many people know, and you and I had discussed it. Activities. Rich, is there much we haven't discussed over the years, really? I, I've, I, to be honest with you, I've actually, well, my memory has started failing me as of late. But the one thing that did stand out was you said rich activity started the very day we moved in. We, oh, were, we were moving minute? in. Yeah. Yeah, and we were moving in. I've, I was the first one. Yeah. You, you want to share with us that? how that first started what was it that was seen and was not there because what i saw was like flesh and blood like yeah. i could have walked up to him the way i would walk up to you and touch him um absolutely appeared solid to me 
Um, I walked in the house with a box marked kitchen. Mom had already taken April, who was only five, into the kitchen to be her little helper. Mm. Mr. Kenyon had not really been prepared to move out. So he was still, excuse me, I'm choking on my drink. Hold up, go down. Oh, please up. don't. That's all right. No, I'm good. Um, he was packing. And uh, we um, we said hello to each other. I walked in the parlor door, the left door, uh, the, the two in the front of the house, and rounded the corner into the dining room. And he was packing his wife's china out of the corner hutch uh, that's built into that room. And he... Uh, just beamed when he saw me. I mean, we had visited the house a number of times and I am telling both of you, as God is my witness, we never saw anything, felt anything. There was nothing weird or spooky or, uh, you know, other dimensionally about the house at all. Um, the, in all the times that we visited before we actually moved in, which was over about a six month period. His mom found the house in June of 1970 but my parents didn't purchase it until December of 1970 because of a lot of reasons. It takes a time to close on a house. Um, they had to have the land surveyed. They came up 10 acres short. They had to resurvey the land, yada, yada. Well, anyway, they closed in December of 1970. We were the legitimate owners, but we didn't move in until our mutual friend George's birthday, January 11th of uh, 1971 was when we assumed physical ownership of it and he was not ready to move out. So my mother was going to have to unpack the boxes, use the packing material and pack up his pantry full of stuff that was still in there when oh, wow. she got into the kitchen. So she was busy. Um, and so I, I had the box marked kitchen and I set it down on the table and I just had you know, some cordial greetings. I was 12 years old uh, with Mr. Kenyon back and forth. I hadn't seen anybody else in the room with him when I went in. This is a big room, but it's not that big. And, um, and then I picked up the box and I turned to go into the front foyer into the kitchen. And there's this man standing there um, who had a, he had his arms crossed and he had kind of a, quirky little grin and his head was cocked to the side and he had one of his legs up against uh, the, the front wall. And as I walked past him, I said, good morning, sir. And he just looked right through me. He was completely fixated on Mr. Kenyon. Like he didn't even see me. You know, I was like, okay, all right, fine. And I noticed his head weird clothing on, different than I had ever seen. And I went into the kitchen. I'm like, Mom, who's that man with Mr. Kenyon? She said, there's nobody with Mr. Kenyon. His son's on the way, but he's not here yet. It's like, okay. I'm sure I just thought neighbor stopped by. Whatever. I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, and then Christine came into the kitchen right behind me with her box marked kitchen and asked the same question. And Mom's like, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm busy here, girls. Go get more boxes. And then... Um, Cindy came in, she asked mom who the man that was dressed funny was. And then Nancy came in right behind her and leaned over and said, Sin, did you see that man with Mr. Kenyon? I did, but he just disappeared. And that was our initiation into the paranormal world. 
about oh, two hours later, the four of us, April was still with mom in the kitchen, working like maniacs, trying to clean out two pantries. Um, and um, the other four of us were in the dining room with Mr. Kenyon and my father. And dad was offering for him, you know, said, Earl, I, I know you really don't want to leave the farm. Um, and we, it's, it's a big house. We can make arrangements and give you your own space and you can just live with us. I mean, we loved him. He loved us. And um, he got choked up and he said, my son would never allow that. He built a house for me on his property and I have to go move into the village. And so uh, they're having this, you know, really intense, personal, uh, sad, really, conversation. And all of a sudden, this man manifests in the corner of the room again. And all four of us are looking at each other like, do you see him? Yeah, do you see him? Without <laughs> saying a word. But neither my father or Mr. Kenyon saw him. Just mm. us, the four children. And that's when we knew, based on where they were standing and what they should have seen, if they could, that we were living in a very strange new world. It wasn't just a new house. It was a new world. And it's known as the netherworld. Um, and that's how it began. I mean, literally. And then just before when his son finally showed up, you know, just late enough to not have to do anything, um, uh, he took dad out for a little walk on the side yard and overlooking the property. And keep in mind, we moved in the middle of a swirling snow and ice storm, ice pellets, just, you know, ripping your skin off your face. 35, 40 mile an hour winds. It was not a fun moving day. But when you live in New England, damn it, if it's moving day, you move. <laughs> and um, so, I mean, it was it was not an easy day. We were cold, we were miserable, we were hungry, we were, you know, and, and he said, Roger, you know, just come take a walk with me. And and so they did and he he reached over and he put his hand on my father's arm and he said, Listen to me, for the sake of your family, leave the lights on at night. And dad didn't know how to interpret that. You know, he didn't. I mean, he thought new house, big house, dark house, better leave some lights on so your girls on the second floor don't tumble down the stairs on the way to the bathroom on the first floor. That's how it computed in his mind. And there was nothing counterintuitive about saying something like that if that was the intention. But what Mr. Kenyon did not disclose is that that was the way to keep the spirit activity at bay. And we found out over the course of time from people that lived in the area for generations. I mean, people don't move in and out of Burlville. You are born there, you die there, you live there. And um, we found out over time that people that had owned properties around us said that uh, there was never a time that they uh, went past the Kenyan home stead when uh, the lights weren't all on at night. Even in the very wee hours of the morning, it lit up like a Christmas tree on a very dark landscape. That must have been an expensive power bill. Vicki, any, any, I, I know you're brimming 
You you, you want to like? I'm just ask. sitting here. I'm here for story time. I, I'm just here to listen. <laughs> I mean, do do you remember going back? Do you remember? And you realize that you saw something that other people didn't, so you immediately put it in that category that okay, this is something different. Do you remember that first emotion that you felt at that time after that first experience? I didn't feel any kind of threat at all. I mean, he's just such a, an interesting character, but <clears throat> excuse me, I'm still getting over the crud I got in Rhode Island the last time I was there. Um, this is what's really interesting about that story to my mind. Um, he, he had such a very pleasant demeanor and he obviously cared about Mr. Kenyon and um, I didn't feel any kind of fear or threat. It just seemed very weird, very strange. Um, and because I had spoken to him, you know, he appeared solid to me. Uh, and that was stranger to me than Nancy saying she saw him evaporate into thin air. You know, why does he seem translucent to them, but I can see him just fine. And all these decades later, it occurred to me is because I was in his dimension, that I have the ability to jump dimensions. And so, and I don't like 3D at all anyway. So four and 5D are great for me. It's a lot lighter, it's airy, it's ethereal, it's my happy place. Um, but here's what's really interesting. Uh, I don't know if you know about uh, Cody and Satori. Cody Despian and Satori Hawes, Jason Hawes' daughter, have developed a method oh, yeah. that happened like spontaneously just before COVID struck when they had gotten together and they were sitting holding hands and all of a sudden there was tapping going on all around them, like tapping going on that you know, honey, that was me. That was just me. Relax. Um, and peanut, it's okay. I swear to God. Um, and they didn't know how to interpret it. They didn't know what it meant. Uh, but over time they worked with it, but they felt that they could not identify where the tapping was coming from. And over time they worked out a system where they could communicate with the spirits through a very tedious but very accurate process of literally going through the alphabet until they knock once for yes, two for no, and then somebody journals that word, records that that letter word for word for word over the course of like 10 or 15 minutes it takes to get a full sentence, but we get full sentences out of them. And I've not just- they yes. become They become like, physical uh ouija board yeah they're it's amazing what they do is amazing so i wasn't there for this particular session that they were doing but uh ken da costa rise up paranormal everybody was there at the house a number of people were there and they recorded it they record every session that they do um and uh, uh they came they came through this one spirit came through and said, uh, I need to back up just a little bit. My, my sister Nancy named that spirit Nanny. 
We had no idea who he was. He was a man. And so she needed to identify him. So she named him Manny. And over 50 years, we knew him as Manny. But my mom did historical research on the house and she thought that it might be um, Johnny Arnold, who apparently was drinking horse liniment for the alcohol value. And uh, it must have eaten a hole in us. He died. Um, Johnny Arnold died in the house, according to the records, from like uh, bleeding out from uh, just not a pretty way to die. And so she thought, you know, it must be him because he matched kind of the age and everything. And so, but we still always, always called him Manny. You'll see his name over and over again in the book, one at reference after another. And so that's how we knew him. That's how I wrote about him, you know, from my family's recollections of this spirit. The one we saw the most, he was like a peripheral member of the family. He was there a lot and always in the same spot, you know, roughly right in that general area. And um, so anyway, the spirit comes through with Cody and Satori. This is like last year, this happened. Wow. And um, identifies himself as Joseph. And everybody's looking at each other like, do you remember there being a Joseph in the books in the trilogy? And nobody could. And so there was a bit of a pause and then he started tapping and tapping and he tapped out the um, sentence, Nancy called me Manny. Wow. Yeah, Nancy wow. called me Manny. So what we thought was Johnny Arnold was Joseph. And, yeah. he, and he came through Cody and Satori and identified himself. Last year I was there, or maybe, yeah, it was this, maybe this past year, sometime. I go to the farm a lot now. Um, but uh, I was there with a session and the tapping was out of control, out of control. And Satori is so gentle and kind and she's like, okay, everybody settle down. You all have something to say. I'm sitting on the sofa, Jacqueline, the owner is sitting behind me and, um, and they and she said, "Okay, what is it? What? All right, you all have something to say. Pick one to give me the the message, and how many words?" And so there were four taps. Okay, four words, and then they spelled that particular spirit that did not identify him or herself. Tapped out for everyone. We miss your family, and they spelled my name out. The message was for me. Now, it's spelled out, we miss your family. Uh, do, do you feel that not understanding what was going on when it first started, mm -hmm. uh, that and fearing what you don't understand naturally, now that you do know what was going on, mm -hmm. and if you had the chance to move back in, things would have turned out to be different. Uh, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to get through is, do you feel as if this had anything to do with your mom's health, what you guys went through when you were at the house, or do you feel this had anything to do with how all things just went, just exploded? Or was is the house calling you back? Because there's, there's always been that term. There's a house 
and you really want it and it's calling you do you feel that this house is calling you guys were you meant to be there was it meant to happen this yeah, way i think so i mean my mother's health certainly deteriorated in the house for a variety of reasons and my mother was under siege in that house there was one particular spirit who we think was probably the original mistress of the house who didn't want her there um, and threatened her repeatedly. Um, and she lusted after my father and she coveted us, the kids. Um, but she had, you know, physical altercations with my mother um, and harmed her several times. Yeah. Uh, at least we think it was her exclusively. We don't know. It certainly wasn't Bathsheba. Bathsheba never lived in the house. She, you know, Mr. McEachin uh, or, or McCutcheon, as I wrote it in the book, because I didn't have permission uh, to, from, he had no family for me to ask if I, when I reprint, I'm going to put his name as Mr. McEachin, which is, mm -hmm. was, and he's the one that told my mother about Bathsheba Sherman and that she was not a nice woman and that she had supposedly uh, a child had died in her care while she was at the Richardson Arnold estate. Um, which, you know, is, you know, technically what the conjuring house is. I hate that name, but I understand why they have to use it. Why um, did they choose to use that name? The conjuring, there was no conjuring just, going on. Yes, there, no, but it, it, just for the, uh, because of the film, because that's how everybody really knows that. And I, I get that. I understand it, but they've got a big plaque on the front of the house that says the Richardson Arnold. Uh, okay. Uh, homestead and you know that's what it is um but uh you know my mother knew that there was something going on in the house but she didn't share it with us we were having our experiences but she we knew she was troubled and we didn't share it with her i think I don't ever want to live in the house again, not because I have any fear of what goes on there. I don't ever want to be that, um, uh, I don't ever want to be that physically uncomfortable in an environment again. I mean, between the cold in the winter and the excruciating hot of summer and a house that has no insulation, it's clapboard and horsehair plaster, that's it. Uh, it's not a comfortable house to live in. I don't think so anyway. Um, and uh, I do feel called back to the house. It's the only place on earth that ever felt like a, my permanent home. I was very upset when my parents sold it and didn't even bother to tell me until it was done because I was off in college. Uh, and I, would, I thought I would live there my whole life. I was very comfortable and at peace with the activity in the house by the time I, you know, was right on the verge of adulthood. I'd been through a lot there and, and it had, um, you know, it finally occurred to me that they really posed no threat to me. I was, I never had any kind of altercation with them in the house at all. And I journaled everything that happened and used those journals as part of the foundation of the trilogy from 50, 40 years before. Because, uh, oh, God. So, but anyway, yeah, my mother suffered. Cindy suffered. And I think it's interesting. Cindy had numerous altercations in the house. I mean, and, uh, you know, I just recently released a film uh, called Beyond the Grave. 
uh, that's out all over the place. You can find it anywhere. It's on Apple and Prime and all kinds of stuff. And there was one interview that the producer did, the director, uh, Serena, did, where she was with a scientist who said, spirit does exist, but they can't hurt you. Well, I beg to differ. You know, my, we didn't think that they could hurt us or manipulate objects or, you know, but it stands to reason they're energy. They are energy. They're just, you know, um, a little different than we are and maybe in a different dimension, a different realm. But uh, God, you know, it was um, it was tough sometimes. And Cindy and mom both had some serious issues and all of us had experiences. But it occurred to me uh, years later that really all they were trying to do was to get our attention and wanted to be acknowledged. And my mom always said that we had to treat the house with reverence and respect because it was their house first and we were the intruders. Um, and she was right about that. But I can't stand to be away from it. My father loves it. Nancy would move back in in a freaking heartbeat. Christine could care less. Cindy will never go back again, and neither has my mother. So we got the full spectrum yeah. of emotional responses to the farmhouse. And, um, you know, I had the chance to buy it uh, uh, several years ago, and I opted not to. Well, first of all, I wouldn't pay that much for it. We, we bought that house for $72,000 with the barn and 200 acres of land. No way was I going to pay a million dollars if I had it for the house. No. Um, wow. I have a wonderful relationship uh, with the current owner, um, Jacqueline, who I think will be owner for life. I really do. Um, it's the perfect place for her. She's The Heinsons had it, got it from Norma. And uh, that gave me, uh, after the falling out that I had with Norma over the movie and all that, which I do not want to revisit just because it's icky negative. Yeah. Um, you know, we went from being friends to apparently mortal enemies, according to her, uh, when the movie opened. And um, like I had anything to do with the production of the movie, I didn't. Um, but uh, no, I, I, got, I get to go back whenever I want to. I'll be there for four or five days over Halloween. Um, and Lucky it's wonderful. You. Wonderful. Lucky, Lucky you. I, I wish I could go with you too. One day I will. I know but you will. I know. And, and I'll, I'll drag Jen, Tammy, Vicky uh, with us and, and we'll just have a good old time. Every Road trip. Halloween. Road trip. Road I'm calling in. And, and yeah. I'm gonna call it too. We're gonna we're gonna go to a quick break, uh, and then we'll be right back after these few short words. But there's all so much more. I mean, this egg is just cracked, and yeah. it's not even open yet. So, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, please stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
back ladies and gentlemen with our special guest and one of my favorite people on the face of this planet uh andrea perone uh we're talking about of course everything that has to do with the house and we still have a few things to touch on but i also want to jump into ufos and the yeah, disclosure baby. yeah baby yeah we will um but there's a picture that i i we came across during uh our research and it it called out to jen because her last name is richardson Richardson, that's the family that built the farm i was going to mention that when you said her name so go ahead and and post it jen real quick and uh show everyone exactly Mm -hmm. what we're talking about unfortunately it's been defaced since then uh is that on the property no is that nearby cemetery uh, it must be a nearby cemetery. I'm not uh, familiar with that. Um, I will tell you when the movie opened, some moron um, went and destroyed uh, Bathsheba Sherman's gravestone because of a fictional film. Um, they tried to save it. They put it back together again, and then somebody else came and destroyed it again. And now it's gone, and they're fundraising to try to replace it and you know i i was so pissed i made a video uh, on youtube i put out nice you know basically the message was you know i don't know who did this but she does and woe be unto you oh, yeah. woe be unto you and i you know i hope karma came back to bite him in the ass because i mean how stupid how disrespectful uh to desecrate somebody's grave Uh, You know, Bathsheba was never convicted of anything. She, um, 
uh, you know, there were only a few homesteads in the area. I'm sure everybody knew everybody else. And hopefully with the help of Cody and Satori, we can get some more clarity on the history of the house. Mm. But, you know, there was an accusation leveled against Bathsheba that the baby in her care had died at her hands. And, you know, at a time when everybody did all their own sewing and there were baskets of uh, yarn and fabric and needles everywhere, um, it was discovered, uh, according to the little bit of records my mom could find, um, that uh, the baby uh, that died had a needle impaled at the base of its skull and that its cause of death was uh, convulsions. Well, then the rumors began, you know, that she was practicing witchcraft, that she um, had sacrificed the infant uh, or the toddler. We don't even know how old the baby was. We don't know if it was her child or if it was another child and she was caring for it. We don't know. Um, but there was an inquest in Chapachet because Burlville wasn't even incorporated yet. Bathsheba lived from 1812 to 1885. Um, and, um, and she was let off the hook. There was no forensic evidence back then uh, to prove that she had done anything. And she said she didn't do anything to, to harm the child, but the child died. You know, we don't know all the details of this. We might never know all the details. It was because Mrs. Warren came to the house um, and not invited by my mother. Um, she didn't know who they were when she opened the door and Ed and Lorraine were standing outside. It was the night before Halloween, 1973. And um, she, of course, you know, invited them in to warm up and offered them a cup of coffee and they identified themselves. And Lorraine went over to our old black stove and put her hand on the corner of it and covered her forehead. And she said, I sense a malicious presence or a malignant presence in this house. Her name is Bathsheba. And so from that point on, anything that my mother divulged to her, trusting that, you know, I mean, once they identified themselves as paranormal investigators or researchers, my mom felt like she could talk to them. And, and Ed interviewed us, the children, and Lorraine spent her time with mom. Um, but it was, you know, how it ended up in the Warren files, which is actually what the uh, the case files, which is what the film was based on. And they even finagled with that enormously. I mean, Lorraine, I, I watched the film with her and uh, four months before it opened and hadn't seen her in 40 years. And she recognized me wow. and embraced me and we talked and talked and talked. And, you know, she told me, that you know, she and Ed made mistakes and, and that they had never encountered anything like what they experienced at the house and, um, and that the, you know, the movie was not what was in her case files and, and stuff like that. But you know, they, the movie made us look like somehow we were godless heathens and they were the devout Roman Catholics and uh, you know, that there was an exorcism and my mother was possessed. None of that happened. My mother was certainly troubled and perhaps being oppressed by one of the spirits um, that targeted her, but it wasn't Bathsheba. And so I've got a whole chapter in the last book called Season of the Witch um, 
that talks about, you know, the superstition around witchcraft and the, you know, if, if Bathsheba had, if there had been any proof that she was a practicing witch in the time that she lived, she wouldn't have been buried in hallowed ground in the middle of the village along with her children and her husband. She would have been burned at the stake, if anything. Yeah, or drowned, you know, or, or yeah. who knows how, you know, persecuted. Um, and so I can't prove that she didn't, and you know, she didn't do what she was accused of uh, or that she got off the hook a la Lizzie Borden by talking her way out of it. I can't prove any of that, nor am I willing to uh, state that she was a murderess of a baby. Um, I, I just won't do that. I think, you know, I am her great defender in that I don't think you should accuse anybody of something like that unless you've got proof. What a horrific thing. Um, you know, maybe she wasn't the nicest person. Maybe she didn't have the easiest life. Um, but that didn't make her a murderer. And, um, you know, back in that time, I mean, even when we moved there, there was, you know, still folklore stories about Bathsheba Sherman who lived at the Sherman farm, which was about a mile away uh, as the crow flies from the Richardson estate. Um, well, the Arnolds had taken it over through marriage at that time because women were not allowed to own property. Glad those days are over, better stay that way. Um, well, you know, I mean, we're taking giant leaps backwards in terms of rights in this country. So, you know, you yeah. never know. I know. Um, but uh, anyway, that said, um, women just didn't have the clout to own property. They didn't have the right to vote. They didn't have anything, any rights. Um, they were basically goods and chattel at that period. And um, yeah. So anyway, I dare not digress. You know me, Rich. You know me yeah. well. Um, so anyway, uh, Bathsheba was accused of doing something that uh, I can't absolve her, but I can defend her. And uh, interestingly, Cody was recording a thing I was doing at her grave site uh, years ago. I mean, he was like 15 years old at the time. And uh, he called me right after, you know, Cody and Satori. Cody recorded a, a little lecture I was giving about Bathsheba. And he's got a disembodied voice of her screaming her name over us. And it was absolutely not audible to any one of the 30 people or so that were there, um, which is amazing. And she sounds like a little girl. And she came through George's spirit box once. Um, and we were in the backyard of his house down, uh, down here in Florida. He won't do spirit box inside his house. He keeps everybody at bay outside. And she came through and she, again, sounded like a little girl. And I was like, I know that voice. I know that voice well. And, um, and George said, uh, at first she threw my voice. My voice came through. And, and, and he said, no, no, no. You have to use your own voice or we can't have this. And, um, and then she came back through as it sounded very, she was a very diminutive woman anyway, quite small. Um, and, you know, petite and, uh, and had a, a re relatively high pitched voice. And so she came back through as Bathsheba as herself. And, um, and he asked her one question, what word 
what one word do you, this is how he phrased it, what one word do you associate with Andrea? And she immediately came through love, love. And, uh, and we've got, got that, that right. Yeah, we've got that recording as well. I mean, we got so much stuff, it's ridiculous. You know, if we ever compiled all the paranormal evidence that we've got worldwide, there would be no skeptics, there would be no cynics. Everybody that didn't believe would just shut their mouth and go crawl back under their rocks. You know, I, I really do believe that. I mean, it, it, there's no question about this. You know, this, this is a reality, this exists. And what I work on, making a nice segue to UFOs, which is all I really give a damn about in this world, um, is uh, that there's uh, multiple forms of communication that we can have. And we're just discovering our way. We're all little children lost in the woods trying to find our way out of the darkness into the light. I truly believe that all of us, there are no experts in this field. Um, I never felt anything demonic in that house. I never, I don't know if demons exist. I've never seen a demon. Uh, I do know that there is pure unadulterated evil in this world. If you have any question at all in your mind about that, go turn the news on tonight. You know, because if you're not hearing about Ukraine, you're hearing about Israel. Yeah. Pure, unadulterated evil, evil. in this world. And there were um, things, there were attacks on my family, not me, but on other members of my family um, that were serious. And going full circle back to um, our faith, God helped me, stopped it. But you had to say, now Mrs. Warren tried to teach us how to stop it. But all she was doing was teaching five little kids, um, you know, a phrase that was long and convoluted and didn't uh, kind of stick in our brains. And so it was like, you know, spitting stuff forward, but not, you've got to have your heart and soul into it. And what she taught us was in the name of Jesus Christ, go back to where you came from, leave us in peace. Well, that's a mouthful for an eight year old. Right. And, you know, really, um, uh, hold on. I heard of her was going to ask what if Joy was the same, but was, I, I don't understand the question. I'm sorry. Um, she might have typed it wrong. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think that um, Bathsheba got a really bad rap. They needed to have a villain for the movie. They yeah. needed to have a villain, and Mrs. Warren, said she was the villain. Um, but they conducted a seance to determine who the villain was. And that's when the medium they brought kicked open wide the doors to the netherworld and basically invited everyone in so that they could determine who was attacking my mother. So maybe she wasn't so sure that it was Bathsheba Otherwise, why would they do that? Um, as I, again, Mrs. Warren told me from her lips to my ears, she and Ed were over their head the moment they crossed the threshold to the house. She said that to me before she died and she was completely lucid, completely. Ironically, I, if it had not been for the Warrens, you would not have met one of your closest friends to this very day. John Zaffis. Yeah. And and I believe 
he met you when he was still a teenager. Oh, uh, see, John's lying again. <laughs> you know, and I can tell you this. Um, oh, well, he was the first one to call me for my birthday yesterday morning. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, fucking Zach, this is Coffee, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, no, you know, he's going to have to have the two of you on the, on the, on the no, show at the no. same time. I'm telling um, you the stories yeah. we can get from you two. I know. No, he told my father that he deflowered me and that he. <laughs> oh um, my God, John. He did. He told my father that and my father believed him. And I'm like, Dad, John. Dad, are you kidding? He's like, yeah, his uncle and his aunt told him where you guys lived and. You know, I, and and he went there and he put a ladder up to your bedroom. I'm like, are you insane? First of all, that's like 12 feet. He would have fallen off and broken his neck. And second of all, I met him at a at a disco bar years later. I was like 21. And I walked in there with my uncle and his partner and my sister to go dance at the best club in Providence. And he was sitting at the bar with a friend of his and said, I think that's two of the pairing girls. Um, and that's how I first encountered John. Okay. Um, but yeah, he told my father that um, I was his first love and, and my father bought all of it. And I'm like, dad, I was way too busy playing <laughs> in band and reading a hundred books a week and running this and that and the other thing to have any kind of romantic interest at all why do you believe that man why why over me why do you take his word over mine yeah so that's a whole other story but yeah, yeah. Uh, john's a piece of work he is and i love him dearly he's like my star brother but speaking of which he's kind of you know he's he admitted to me yesterday morning um he's like i'm gonna have to get over my fear of you if i was i'm, I'm gonna have to right and I said, yeah, he said, because, you know, like the government's coming out and telling everybody now and Grosh and, you know, this guy Grosh and we got this one disclosing and that one disclosing and the other one disclosing. And I was like, so I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked my father about what you told him at the Ocean State Paracon about five or six years ago. Why do you believe them over me? Why? because I'm the only one telling you the truth. And I've been telling you since the moment that we met that they are everywhere omnipresent like God, circumnavigating this globe in numbers that even the most in-depth ufologists can't wrap their mind around. And that we are so not alone, it's ridiculous how not alone we are. And if well, you have question in your mind watch my latest film that just dropped called we are not alone google it it's everywhere it's on prime video it's on it's everywhere it's just everywhere we're going to be looking for it for sure uh vicky your your impressions on ufos i know you had your first i had a ufo experience yeah, yeah. oh i knew that yeah yeah so i i have no no doubt now through the years i've always you know, debated some of these things I do think were the government with experimental crafts and they were trying to, you know, do some experiments. But what I witnessed with my mom, there's no way that we had technology 
that could have made that happen. But the older I get, the more I question because what we saw literally disappeared like that. But now I'm starting to second guess, did it really disappear or did I lose time? No, and you might have lost time, uh, but one of the ways that they communicate with us is what I call light language. And one of the ways they use it is to manifest, to shine their bright light upon us and make themselves known to us and then go lights out. And, you know, planes don't do that. Satellites don't do that. Stars don't do that. It's a way of um, identifying themselves. Um, I've, I've had so many, I mean, thousands of experiences uh, going all the way back to my early, early childhood. But my first conscious cosmic contact of, occurred at the farm. Um, and uh, it was a paradigm shift for me personally. Uh, because from that moment on at age 13, I knew we weren't alone in the universe. And I think I might have lost a little time. Um, uh, I know that I was kind of in a bubble of, of silence as the flotilla of vessels was going over the house. And it wasn't until 45 years later, and I was um, lecturing at the Starworks Symposium in Laughlin, Nevada, and one of the other speakers got up and started talking about this flotilla that showed up over the Arctic Circle and came all the way down the Eastern seaboard and hopped the pond uh, in Southern Maryland, made a circle around uh, Western Europe. And then when the Royal Air Force scrambled their fighter jets to go after it, it disappeared off the radar in a flash right back over the Arctic Circle. Now, do you feel, according do you feel to the that they're extra dimensional? Uh, I, I, well, I, I certainly think so. Absolutely. I think if B Bigfoot exists, it's an extra dimensional being, not from this planet, not necessarily indigenous to this planet, because then we would have some organic forensic evidence to, you know, prove their existence. Um, but anyway, that's a whole nother subject, but, yeah, yeah. um, the, the lecturer talked about this saying that by their estimations at the time that it occurred, that this flotilla of vessels, the mothership being so huge, was probably the size of Manhattan. Um, it was enormous. And uh, it supposedly went directly over the head of about 60 million people. And there were 10,000 reports of it. So either, um, I mean, it blocked the setting sun out when I saw it. So it's not something you could miss. And so the only way to logically extrapolate that information is to come to one conclusion or the other. Either they were able to block um, themselves and only appear to uh, those of us that were supposed to see that or um, they uh, literally have a way of wiping clean the memory of those that aren't ready to see it. I would, and I would agree with that. I think that's, I think that's as plausible, but jury's out on that. We don't know, well, but you know, here's the deal. Disclosure <laughs> has already happened, and I don't need any government, let alone this one 
to tell me what is and what is not about. This is the worst kept secret of last century and this one. And the one and only time that they ever told the truth about it and didn't feed misinformation and disinformation into the pipeline to keep people confused um, was when the original Roswell article dropped and then was retracted immediately the next day. That was the one and only time they ever told the truth about this. Um, so, you know, I don't trust them any more than I can pick them up and throw them. Um, but disclosure well, has already happened. It has. And we are the point of disclosure. We, the experiencers and the contactees who are, you know, legitimate voices in the night. Are we the ones that have had these experiences that literally changed our lives? And people are becoming more and more courageous about telling their stories. And that kind of bravery leads to disclosure. And the truth embargo is crumbling crumbling well when yeah. you have a congressional committee over it and you know yeah. to discuss the the fact yeah. that they do exist they're framing it as a threat they're no yeah, threat that, to us and, and the thing is is they, they've touched on the subject that there's various breeds of aliens and that there are a few that are threats and there are some that are not but i have a feeling that the ones that are threats are possibly government more than anything else portraying to be alien what do you think about that because i i just i don't get that feeling from you know what you and i experienced at at the old home front that mm -hmm. you you no longer are are at um i i didn't feel threatened at all if no. anything and you were communicating with them just like you and i were communicating right now and, and along with vicky and, and this is it, to me it was like second nature so yeah. I think it's the government, honestly, that's demonizing this more than anything yeah. else. It's like yeah, sat satanic panic. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's I I can't take them seriously. I can't take them anywhere. Uh, no, it's and and yet the messages that I'm getting from our galactic family is forgive them. They're just covering their own asses. They're just trying to maintain some semblance of authority um, as an institution. You know, the Department of Defense and. Um, it's uh no jen no it's all bs it is it really is i mean okay here's the thing all right i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to logic here roll up your sleeves yeah going down the logic rabbit hole here's the all thing right. um i was doing an interview with the sun uh in um london a few nights ago and my director serena was on and uh, the uh, reporter and myself, the three-way call. And she made some mention about, she thinks that we don't mean anything to to the aliens. I don't even call them alien. They're not alien to me. They're no more alien to this planet than we are. So I don't call them that. It's got such a negative stigma attached to it. Um, but that I could per perceive them to be my galactic family, our universal family. Most of the races are humanoid. Most of them that have visited the planet that have, uh, you know, that their presence has been recorded. They're almost all humanoid. Um, and, uh, you know, she said something to the reporter about uh, she didn't think that they really, that we meant anything to them, that they were really here to try to preserve the planet. And I said, oh, whoa, I beg to differ. 
Um, that has not been my experience. And I'm not saying that they aren't here to help save and preserve the planet, but doesn't it follow logically that if that was their sole intention and that if we meant nothing to them, like looking at a bed of fire ants, then wouldn't they stomp out the pestilence that was damaging the planet? Because it's not the freaking water buffaloes and the hippos and the whales and the cougars that are destroying earth. It's the humans. Wouldn't it follow logically that if their sole purpose of being here is to save earth from the blight of humanity, would it not stand to reason that they would wipe out humanity? They're not here to hurt us. They're here to love us. They're here to raise us into a higher consciousness where we give a damn about this planet as much as they do. That's what they're here for, to bring us into the galactic family, that we are all created from the same sort of energy and come from different places. And if they were so sophisticated, technologically and spiritually, that they could travel vast distances of, through our galaxy and out from other, you know, the edges of the universe to get here, they're not coming here to destroy us or to pillage the planet. They're coming because they love us, because everything is one thing and everything is energy. And I consider it highly plausible that we are them and they are us. And our existence on this planet has a great deal to do with them. That's you know, what I I, I know that, and, and I agree, they, they, they could have stomped us out a long time ago, like the roaches, a lot of us that just happen like that. to be roaches, just like, yeah, because I'm sure they have the answer to the cure of cancer, uh, the, the yeah. cure to heart disease and everything, but they're like, we're just going to sit back a little bit, but at the same time, if they're trying to save us or, or bring us into this enlightenment, who are they targeting to do this other than yourself uh, and other psychic mediums? But why, why is it taking so long? Are we that dense that we can't catch yes. on to what's going on? Really? Yes. Oh, that's that's stupid. I would say that we are as dumb as dirt, but that is a terrible insult to dirt. <laughs> or even what you were talking about when so many people did witness it, but you had only 10,000 reports where there yeah. should have been 60,000. Some of those people could have been in denial, just yeah. plain yeah. denial. Yeah. They saw something. They went and said, oh, it was something. It was this, that, and the other. It, they were just in denial. They didn't want to accept yeah. what they had just witnessed. So they had to, just like a skeptic, when they go into a house where there's activity and they come up with the most absurd reasons for that activity that make no sense whatsoever, but they still have to be that good little skeptic. So those yeah. people that didn't report it, they probably saw it. They were in denial and they put it in a different category. To me, my experience, I was about 14 years old. And I remember every detail like it was yesterday. I'm 57. And I remember every detail of it. You too. Every detail. And, and you know what's sad? 
And, and it, it, it's we could literally have an alien come on to a podcast just like this one. I'm here. I mean, I <laughs> an invitation. You're an alien that should, you know, you're in, in my, and I'm saying this honestly, you, you are truly a blessing to this earth uh, because yeah, that's you're not, you're not from this earth. Um, you know, no, out of all the people, the earth, I'm not of the earth. Exactly. Not, you know, we're, we're, what, what do they say? We're spiritual beings experiencing a, a human experience. Yeah. And, and in reality, that's, that's what a lot of us are, but let's say an alien right now and you, you know, jokingly, but I don't think you're joking, uh, came onto this podcast. Mm -hmm. This podcast would possibly hit millions and millions of hits on, on TikTok, on everything you could possibly think of. And they would still find a way to say, ah, it was CGI. Yeah. It didn't really happen. It was AI. It, it was made up. Don't worry about it. The existence of our galactic family, our extraterrestrial family, will indeed fracture the belief systems of millions and millions and possibly billions of people. Now, here's the thing. I got called out one night. I always go out. I wake up every night about 3 a.m. Every night. And I go out and I have my little interaction with my galactic family. It's quiet, it's peaceful. Uh, one night uh, I was working really late and I was working on a screenplay. I was not working on anything having to do with them. And I went to bed and I was very tired and my whole bed just, I got a like a shove. And then when I wouldn't respond, then my whole bed moved. And I was like, <clears throat> You know, it was the middle of winter in Florida. That meant I had to put a robe and slippers on and go outside. Thought I was going to freeze to death. It had to be like in the mid-50s. <clears throat> and I went out and I was a little perturbed. Uh, I try not to be aggravated with them, but I was a little perturbed. And I was like, what is it? What? And I didn't see anything happening in the sky at all. Nothing. It was like there were no stars. It was like a scrim had been put over the sky. It was black, black sky. And then all of a sudden, I see a flash so bright in my mind's eye. I don't even know if it was in the sky or if it was just in my head. Um, it, but it was so bright, I had to close my eyes. I mean, it, I, that was my spontaneous response to it. And in that second that that happened, I was 12 years old again, and I was standing at a chicken farm with my mother and my father and my sisters. And the farmer's wife had taken us into the part of the chicken farm where they had all of this incubator all lined up where some of the eggs were going to be allowed to become chicks. And there were, I saw one of the eggs was moving and a little tiny beak was pecking through the shell. And I reached over to crack the egg to release the chick. And my mother withdrew my hand and very kindly explained to me that if I broke that egg open, the chick would die. And what she was trying to tell me was, uh, and the message I got that night was the amount of energy and stamina 
required for that chick to peck its way out of its little 3D shell and come out into the larger universe is precisely equivalent to the amount of energy it will require to survive outside the shell. It had to build its own energy. It had to use its own energy to build its own stamina so that it could survive. And part of that process was the pecking of the egg. And if I broke that egg for it, it would die within hours. It had to do it itself. And that was the message they were telling me. That was the message. And I went immediately back in, opened my computer, and until 5 o'clock in the morning, I sat and I wrote a treatise called The Chicken and the Egg. That was the message. They can't do it for us. They are not here to save us. And on the morning of February 24th of 2022, I was sitting on the beautiful terrace of my old home in Winter Garden, feeling so overwhelmed with anxiety, with a feeling of the world was about to end, that something absolutely terrible was going to happen. And I'm sitting there drinking my coffee and smoking my cigarette and kind of almost rocking myself like a, you know, a mother would a child. I mean, I was just trying and, and I was like, okay, you know what? Like all bets are off. Okay. I feel like something, there's a huge disturbance in the force. It's coming. I know it. If there was ever a time for you to get your asses down here and intervene on behalf of humanity, it is now. Where are you? And I got as clear a message as I have ever received, ever. And it was this. And I heard it in my head. If we are here, this planet and its people are in crisis. We are here. Wow. Vicki, your impression? Yeah, I'm a little speechless for a minute. but Okay. Um... That they, it takes a lot for Vicky to be speechless. Yeah, uh, it's intense. It, because it, it now makes you what you just said now, and everyone listening and watching, that should make you think. That should make they you think. They are and here, and they, they can't they solve our problems for us, or we will never spiritually evolve and come into the great awakening to this <laughs> new age of enlightenment. And as H.P. Lovecraft said, if we don't, then we will descend into a new dark age and go mad. And we are right on the precipice right now. So right it's almost now. as if they're trying to just allow for our natural evolutionary <clears throat> state to take over. Is that, is that what you feel it is? That we have to evolve we into to this awareness. Do you think it's, I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you think it's possible for us as human beings to get to that point where we are going to be able to help ourselves? Absolutely, because without making this quantum leap in consciousness, we will surely perish and it will be at our own hands, each other. And I if agree. we don't come to an awareness, and a full realization of oneness. We are one human race. We are all brothers and sisters. 
We are all connected. Separation is an illusion. And the only truth comes when we begin to look at our old reality with new eyes. That's the leap that we must make. <clears throat> millions and millions and millions of us are doing just that. I'm not alone in this. I have all kinds of people that I work with and millions of people around the world have you know, watched my videos and listened to my words and I hope taking it to heart and, and cumulatively we are raising, all of us are raising the vibration of this planet, raising awareness about ourselves and our flaws as humans and coming to a great, we live in duality. Good conquers evil, love conquers fear. If that weren't true on both counts, none of us would be here anymore. None of us would because evil is constantly trying to wipe out creation and, you know, all creation, uh, whether it, you know, be blowing up cities or beheading babies or, you know, I mean, look what's happened in Ukraine. There is pure, unadulterated evil in this world. In Israel as well. And I mean, this, very this... often dwells within heads of state. And Vladimir Putin, may there be a special hell for him to burn in. And every other terrorist that walks this planet, let there be a special hell for these people. I don't even want to call them people. They are the monsters. They are the monsters. And this is an element of humanity which must either be healed or must be vanquished. There's no middle ground. And so if they were going to, if they were going to intervene on behalf of humanity, they would, but they can't do it for <coughs> We have to find our way to the light, and they are the light. You know what the irony is? We, we, we have this misconception that the aliens, or the misconception has really been forced upon us by social media, society, and also what we see in, in news and whatnot, even that special counsel that was held to talk about the UFOs and the aliens and whatnot. That yeah, that special council 16 of the world's brainiacs. Yeah. That, had I been sitting at that table when they gave me the folders, I would have shoved them right back and said, what's in there, you just said, is all the declassified material. Show me the classified material. Do not insult my intelligence. If you want an accurate assessment of what is going on around this planet and in this universe and on this planet, then you give me everything or I'm out of here. You know and what's funny? Righteous indignation, I would say so. Congress, some of the congressmen that, that were invited to go to these government facilities that are dark um, were turned away. And they were told that uh, what they were invited to come see during those uh, congressional committee uh, meetings, um, uh, they could not allow them to see that see it at right. all. Right, these were government federal officials. Yep, done in a skiff. There was, you know, like, like we're still not our tax dollars pay for all the research and all the development, everything going on at Area Fifty One. And believe me, 
it's not the only place where it's happening. Oh, no, of course and, not. You know, but we're not entitled to the information because they've deemed us unworthy of being able to process it, you know, psychologically, spiritually, mentally, like, you know, we're all disabled. Do you feel that that would be... Incredibly insulting, incredibly insulting. Do you feel that that is really the reason they're using... I mean, if we were, if they were to actually release everything, let's just say right now they released everything. The percentage of the world, the globe at large, how would they actually respond? To that type of information because the 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 jump from technology that we took from you know uh new mexico to present day mm. it, it's it's a very very i know it seems like a long time ago but really it, it wasn't that long it to the extent to where we're at now it would take a year maybe two to if they were to expose everything mm. of technology an advancement in medicine and everything i think people would be overwhelmed me personally from what i've seen it takes one person one one person to say one stupid thing and look at the world react now imagine the whole world finding out about something incredible like this how would the world respond to this now people like you myself vicky jen and everyone else here in, in the chat room right now We'd be more open to it, but I seriously doubt that the, you know, everyday nine to fivers would actually take to it as quickly as we would. I think that's possibly why they're holding back. I don't think they think we're ready yet. So I don't think that that gets to be their decision. I, I agree with you there, but getting, I think that's why they're doing it, though. I, the messages that I'm getting um, from our extraterrestrial family is forgive them they're just trying to preserve their power structure they're trying to remain a legitimate institution if they declare that there are uh beings that are so technologically advanced to anything that any human has come up with you know then that undermines the institution that they're trying to build up and and maintain um and so their attitude about this is it's all happening the way it should steve um, I love you too, Jen. <laughs> uh, Steve Bassett is a friend of mine. Um, he's the only uh, UFO lobbyist in Washington, D.C., and he's part of the reason why, uh, you know, just pushing, pushing, pushing members of Congress to, you know, really open their eyes and take a look at this. Um, and he's, uh, I think, in the background of the reason why that we even got to congressional hearings even though the bulk of the information that was passed to Congress was done in private session and in skiffs. So if they've got, you know, that, that alone tells you there's a lot more going on and, um, the, you know, than any of us know. So I, I had Steve on my show, A World Awakening, um, uh, a few months ago. And, uh, you know, I said to him, like, you know, first of all, he said, you know, Andrea, you're so... You're, you went rogue a long time ago. And I'm like, thank you. That's like calling me a weirdo. It's like, I compliment. Um, that he said, now I want to give you a, a metaphor. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but I want to give you a metaphor. Imagine you're in a plane crash and um, on a deserted island and and not everybody survived. Uh, and the, But the few that did are having to find a way to uh, stay alive. 
until they are discovered. And as time passes and they're just trying to live off the land in berries and whatever, they're you know, becoming more and more and more emaciated. And then they're finally discovered and the rescue plane comes in and drops a smorgasbord of food. He said what they would do is they would eat themselves to death. Their bodies would not be able to absorb and assimilate the food that they're so hungry for. And if you don't feed them a little, little bit yeah. at a time, just a little for their body to reacclimate to having nourishment, then they will perish. And, you know, it's, it's, it's he's right. It's too much knowledge. You can only take things incrementally. I mean, think about it. It was 27, December of 2017 that we all saw about the USS Nimitz splashed across the pages, the front page of the New York Times. It wasn't that long ago. Look what's come out incrementally yeah. since now, what they were doing, and they were forced into the disclosure because all the pilots said, this is too important. And it was 2017, and the incident that happened off the Nimitz happened in 2010. You know, so it, all these years had passed before they even admitted it. And then somehow some of that video got you know, sent out and they couldn't deny it. It was obvious. It was fighter pilots. It was a Navy uh, aircraft carrier. I mean, it was, you know, they couldn't say, no, this didn't happen. It's all made up. Um, and so that was just, but they had permission to leak that, you know, Luis Elizondo was put out as a spokesperson, had to leave the military in order to go out into the public and start talking about what he knew about. And then we have Grush and one after another, after another, after another has come forward recently oh did you see that wicked flash of light that just occurred behind me did you see that i did oh you have to go back and see if it you know mark your time right here oh. that what it was about 149 and some change yeah, yeah. i didn't see that i mean boom flash um yeah i know see, we're I'm talking here. about them and they're like hi we're here making themselves known absolutely um you know but this is happening incrementally so for to prepare the ground, as it were, in the same way that you turn the topsoil of a garden before you plant that seed. And when that seed goes down into the dark, rich earth and the moisture comes in to soften it, it cracks open and there new life is born. And this metaphor works for this kind of a scenario because you see there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And so once the we egg. crack open mm -hmm. that egg on our own, yeah. that's how the light gets in, you know, and it will happen. And I have to believe that it will. I have to believe that it will, or otherwise I would not want to be here anymore. I'd be perfectly happy to go with my mother. I have to believe, I have to have hope that we are smarter than this, you know, that it's, this is our big brand wake up call. We are in the midst of the paradigm shift. We are. I call, in. This, I call this the awakening. We, we are literally in the midst of awakening and I see it. I feel it. Uh, I, I'm sure 
Vicky would agree with me. There, there's so many people out there that are just now beginning yeah. to wake up. Yeah, and the nice thing is, once you do, you can't go back to sleep. Oh no, a it's human like mind expanded does not retract. And you cannot unsee is, what you just saw. Right, right. You cannot unsee what you just saw. You can it's deny that you saw it. You can blame your imagination. You can turn your 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 back on spirit. But eventually, once that door is open, something's going to reach through and tap and say, "Oh man, still here, that's still here." Tap. That's the tap that breaks the egg, and 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 the way I see it, that's the light that starts coming through, and then little by little. And whatever's inside that egg starts packing you know, out. People are losing their minds. Vicky, Rich, Jen, look around the world. People are losing their minds. A lot of it has to do with COVID, the stressors that we were placed under. Yeah. Some are weak, some are strong. Some it strengthened, some it weakened. Um, and when I look at the behavior of, and I'm just talking about our society in this country, when I see what's happening here, um, and then of course elsewhere around the world, uh, I realize that uh, people were not able to assimilate. People were not able to shut down and go into isolation, and they they cracked. That you know, mentally, the weakest among us have you know bought into outlandish conspiracy theories and you know following people who are leading them right over the edge and you know on and on and on uh and i look at that and it's it's hard to maintain my hopefulness but i also know that uh there are millions and millions of like-minded people around this world i just came back from uh ufo contact in houghton lake michigan there were 300 of us and we were all embracing each other. We have got, oh my God, so much video, so much activity. Thank, thank you, John. John Howe, you should contact me. Um, I, uh, uh, I see signs of hope. I see glimmers of hope when... I am at a conference and I'm the dumb one. And there are, you know, so many, like a thermometer doesn't have as many degrees as all <laughs> these people around me. And I see the scientific community stepping up. A perfect case in point is Rupert Guy. Heidi was there, she was. Rupert Guy, who I've kind of partnered with in terms of UFO, co conscious cosmic contact which is the method that I named it as they told me to name it what it is. And so I did. Um, and I introduced people to the galactic family and he and I have been working together over several events in recent months um, to, uh, you know, some people refer to it as CE5, you know, conscious contact. It's just that we're all doing the same thing in slightly different methodology. Um, on another flash in the room. That's weird. I have nothing flashing in this room that would do that. So they know when I get all excited and if we suddenly cut out and all the energy in the house just drains and all the batteries die and it's been really nice having this conversation with you, but sometimes I short things out with my I, 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 I was there when you did that, if you recall, and I was like, what, what, 
what just happened. Excuse me. Uh, but Andrew, before before we have to let you go, uh, I'd like people to be able to keep track of everything that you're doing, the conventions you're going to. Hopefully, I'm doing laundry and moving in right now. Okay, that's what I'm doing. Right. Lots and lots of laundry because of mold spores that got all over everything in the house. Unfortunately, and um, and I am going to my next event. I am lecturing at a university. Don't even ask me the name of it. I don't know. Uh, in New Jersey on the 28th, and then I'm appearing at the Alley Theater on the 29th, and that's in Middleborough, Massachusetts. And then I'm going to the farm and hanging out for Halloween and doing Halloween stuff at the farm. And then I'm going out into Boston Harbor to lecture on a cruise ship that that's its port of call for that day. And it's a paranormal tour of the entire East Coast. And we were able to make it happen that I stayed long enough to go speak to all the Brits, which is going to be so much fun. <laughs> um, and, um, and then I'm going home and spending a couple of weeks with my mother in Georgia. And then I have to fly to California and go shoot another movie. But then I'll be back and then I'll be doing Christmas stuff and it'll be really great with all the pretty colors and the lights. Online, uh, how can they keep in touch with you? Oh, I just know. Google my name. I know that sounds, just Google me. And I know that sounds dirty, but just do it. Just Google me. I'm everywhere. Uh, Facebook. <laughs> Buttercup Butter Brigade. That's my fan yes. page, which I created yes. for my fans because I love them so much. Truly. Um, but anywhere. Jonathan knows. Jonathan knows wherever I am. I'm everywhere omnipresent like the friggin' extraterrestrials. Okay? Just <laughs> And the movies, uh, you, are these documentaries or movies that yes, have been released? Yes, uh, Beyond the Grave uh, is the first one that was released in September. And then in October, we released We Are Not Alone. And you can find links and, and information. Um, well, actually, you'd have to scroll 15 miles down my page right now because so many people wish to be a happy birthday. But it's on Buttercup. Both of okay. them are listed on Buttercup, too. And I want to thank all of you, Jen and Vicki and Rich. You know how much I love you. You are my brother. You know, we are uh, we are so connected. And um, this was an absolutely enjoyable two hours. And I'll come back and we'll continue anytime you would like. Thank you, love. Thank you. Vicky. And I'm going to hold you to that invitation because yeah. I want to really delve into my being able to communicate the way you've learned to communicate. Yeah. Oh, now I can teach you that. All I have to do is open your third eye. It takes about two to three minutes and you're golden, babe. Just all set. <laughs> they all gave right. Yeah, they did. They gave that to me. And now I just pass it along. You know, and, and Vicki, let me tell you, when when you meet Andrea, you won't want to leave. Uh, I'm, I'm just telling you right now. It, it's She's just one of those people uh, that I immediately, the moment I met her, we were... We were like, oh. yeah, we were like peas and carrots, like for yeah, time. Okay. I love you, Annie, and happy belated birthday to you. Say hello to Papa Perron. I know he was in the background. I saw him at first yeah. uh, when we first started. Please say hello from good old Rich. You know, the guy with the beard, you know, yeah, the, the weird one. Exactly okay. <laughs> And please give a hug and kiss to your mom when you see her again, okay? I love you. Thank you for, for being on the show. Bye, everyone. Bye.
And ladies and gentlemen, that there is one special, incredible woman. Vicky, your impressions. I, I, I mean, I all you can do is just sit there, just absorb. Yeah. I, I definitely want to, since I did have that UFO experience, I would love to be able to open up that side and to open up the communication mm -hmm. um, that I believe exists out there and, and really delve into that and learn more about it for sure. I agree. And, and she's the person to lead you through there. That rabbit hole, I will warn you, there's a lot of thorns, but I, I, I think it's worth it. You know, it'll add more to what you've already, and I can't say you've mastered, but what you, you're still learning. We're all learning. We're all still learning. We're you know, anybody learning. who has a gift, it's, it's something that you have to continue to use. And it surprises you because every time you turn around, there's a new portion of your gift that opens up. I agree 100%. But you know what? Uh, I want, I also want to thank everyone that's been in the chat. That's been chiming back and forth with us and, uh i appreciate it vicky appreciates it. we i mean we wouldn't be anything without you guys okay uh so thank you so much for watching but uh we're going to be going to our regularly scheduled program which will be season two it's not going to be two hours anymore we did a special show this time around for two hours uh because it was andrew pearl come on you got to uh, but at the same time, we're going to be going to an hour and a half instead of two hours. Uh, the first hour is always going to be an, an interview with someone. Very interesting. Uh, Vicki, do you want to mention the name and the subject matter that we're going to be delving into in like two weeks, something like that? Yeah. The next time you see us, we are going to be talking to Robert Robertson, who is a Bigfoot expert. That's something we hadn't touched on too much in season one. So I'm like, hey, let's bring in Bigfoot for season two. I agree. And you know what? Uh, Bigfoot is just one of those other things that we have to discuss. I mean, we just went from hauntings to UFOs, Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Uh, but it's going to be every two weeks. And sometimes there may be a little bit more because, you know, the holidays are upon us. But, you know, remember what we always say, or this is what I always say. Live life, don't let life live you, and peace be still. See you all in a few weeks. Bye.